0: Welcome to Learning by Design, a professional development podcast for the faculty of Bay State College. I'm James Grinnier from the Office of Instructional Design and the Virtual Center for Teaching and Learning. Join us each episode as we discuss the tips, tools, and techniques of education online and face-to-face in a changing world. And our guest today is Lance Eaton, who is the educational programs manager for Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University, and also an adjunct instructor at North Shore Community College and Southern New Hampshire
1: University.
0: Lance, thanks for joining us today.
1: Well, thanks for having me, James. I'm, I'm excited to be here to to be talking about assessment and creative ideas around what we do with, with our teaching.
0: And that's a key area, something that's really evolved in the last year or so, especially. So tell us what, in your 32nd or so <laughs> estimation, how would you explain open pedagogy and creative design and assessments to the, the layperson or someone who wasn't really sure what that was?
1: Sure. With open pedagogy, a lot of what it is about is trying to make sure what the assignments and activities that students do have a life that goes beyond just meeting the goal of assessment. So an example would be if you're doing writing, it's not just writing the five paragraph essay, but writing say an opt-ed that the student may submit to a paper or writing a blog where it will actually live out on the internet for others to enjoy. Creative assignments, I really think about how you can, or the thing I push with it is so long as you know what it is you're assessing, the objective that you want students to be able to demonstrate that they understand, There's an amazing amount of different ways you can come up with assessing the same objective and having very different assignments. You can do creative stuff. You can do more, you know, more straight analytical or straight, as I said before, essay type questions. But it really is this idea of if you have the objective, then you can get really expansive with what options you give students to be creating those assignments around.
0: So is there one that you've done in one of your classes or that you've advised someone, you know, collaborated with a faculty member that would be a good example of that
1: at the moment? Absolutely. So in my literature courses, I typically have, there's uh, three assignments, three big assignments that they do. There's other smaller assignments, but one assignment is the analysis assignment where they have to analyze literature. It's a literature course. That's a pretty straightforward, like how do you really understand and and take apart what's going on in the story beyond just the story itself. And so what I offer to students is several different options. One is an option where they just do the typical, write an essay that's a close read of a section of the story and they bring in some analysis, you know, they bring in some, some research and stuff. Another option is they actually have to write, not a new ending, but what happens after the end of the story. And with that comes a reflective essay of grounding their decisions. My argument with that, or the the reason that's a really interesting assignment is it's creative. They get to write something that isn't straightforward analytical writing, but they are analyzing. They have to really understand and study that story deeply to be able to write an ending after the original ending that feels authentic and i've seen students do this with the lottery Uh, that's one of my favorite is a student did this with the lottery and it was fantastic the lottery is owned by oh my gosh why am i blanking on her name Shirley jackson there we go i had i had charlotte perkin gilman's and that's the yellow wallpaper um Yes, yes so the student wrote an ending to a new ending or an added ending to the lottery And the lottery is amazing. I didn't think it needed an additional ending, and yet the student really came up with something that felt genuine and then wrote a brief reflection explaining her choices and why she went in that direction. So to me, that's a really cool assignment that that student was able to really jump into versus if they just had to do a close reading. Uh, So that would be another option. A third option would be writing an interview with the characters. And so the idea is that they are interviewing the characters and trying to elicit certain understandings about the story. So again there, in order to do that, they really do have to read closely at least to do well on the assignment. Like they can't just one off it and just, you know, have them talk about the weather. They really do have to think about what is this character going through? How do I how do I know that from the text in both the questions they ask and the answers that they give the characters. And so I had several several things like that and then I had a fifth option that was pitch an assignment. And so what I really like about that, and students will sometimes take me up on this, is they come up with a way. They under the the pitch your assi- pitch your own assignment is you identify what the objective is, and the student then kind of runs and creates what the assignment is, but has to ground and and justify why it's a meaningful assessment. So you get into metacognition with that, which is another really great area for students to be, you know, not just learning, but learning and thinking about their learning. And it becomes a conversation with the student about, okay, why do you want to do it this way? You know, in a, a bit of a negotiation to kind of make sure everything aligns well. But they're also much more invested in it. Uh, so to me, these are these are really great examples of, of being able to kind of think about ways to give students choice as well as a little bit more creativity for even for us as faculty of not having to just get used to reading, you know, 50, 60 papers of the same structure. It gives us a little more flavor, a little more excitement in, in what we see and assess.
0: Yeah. And that it's really um, several <laughs> good points there, but, but I want to start with that last one because one of the things that we have as teachers is we've got that fatigue. We're used to the same assessments and we're kind of if we do, look, we need to do the five-paragraph essay. they like, there's no question we need to teach that skill um, and for many students. I and mean, So many come to us with, they're not quite prepared for English or writing, uh, reading, or even math. So there are some sort of things we need to teach them. But when you do that, when you bring that creativity out, it helps them to get deeper into the topic. But also, it does help you because you're not assessing the same things. You move away from, like, grammar or the things that you expect. And you start looking into the deeper subjects. I love the idea of some of the things you're talking about specifically, like interview the character, because it does make them think about it from the character's viewpoint. Mm -hmm. There are so many options like that. And again, you can also, with those types of courses, with the writing and the literature courses, you are teaching them to think like a writer. You're thinking of like the inside view. The writer needs to understand the character from that viewpoint. Mm. Um, And that those are all, I mean, those are the type of things, interestingly enough, that we do in MFA programs, which is great because I've always been of the mind that you might do it a little differently, but that these things that we do in graduate school that are so cool, like why do we wait till graduate school? You know, there are students that are freshmen or even sophomores, or if you tailor the assignment and you do it at the level where of their understanding and not talking down to them, but saying to them, all right, here, being aware of they're not graduate students yet, you know, as far as research or Mm -hmm. what these areas, you can get them really excited about it.
1: Absolutely. The two things I would say to that, one is, you know, we're talking about this in literature courses, but I've seen this in, in other disciplines as well. One of my favorite assignments from a faculty member I worked with was they talked about how it was a horticulture course And so she actually had a blog and each student would be a different microorganism within the dirt. Mm -hmm. And what they, what would happen is over the semester, their post had to be from the vantage point of that particular thing and what it was doing at that moment in relation to the other parts of the soil. Mm -hmm. Like talk about being able to really learn in learn in a way that isn't just memorization, but actually has to think through and like come up with a character of you're a, you're a fun guy, you add the Latin name, whatever. So I really get excited. And when I see those types of things, because I think for many people, there's some of these, particularly in STEM courses, there's a lot of, a lot of drilling and yet there's lots of opportunities to really kind of break out of that mold. So that was one piece I wanted to mention. And then the other was, oh no, I might've lost it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'll have thing.
0: moments like that, right? <laughs> Education—it's like look at so many on right? here.
1: I can't keep track. Of I got them so that. excited about that one. <laughs> like, that's good, actually. It will—it will come back, I'm sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Talk about STEM too. So like the STEAM movement, which mm. was to move art of different types of arts within the STEM was a big thing a few years ago and it still happens and it's a rare instance where unfortunately too rare but but getting better where k-12 through 12 space and the so-called higher ed space that we're in meet There's vertical teaming there's hmm. let's do the same thing when i started and this sounds awful but when we started teaching people how to do think pair share activities a few years ago even and i had been exposed to it in graduate school and I'd say that, and I'd honestly say, well, I learned this in grad school, but then I found that, of course, they were already doing it in K through 12. They're kind of like, yeah, we've been doing that for a long time, you know, it's, but it's such a great idea. It's a great way to build that engagement. Obviously, in the last year or so, online has changed quite a bit. Mm. You had so many people thrown into it. and One of the things, that, and I'd love to hear your opinion on that or your, your experience with this, but one of the things I've said with faculty, especially last spring when they were jumping online, who hadn't been teaching online, this is not online teaching. What you're doing is emergency remote instruction. Don't be afraid of this. Mm. You know, going on a Zoom is great, but that's not that's not all of what online teaching is. You know, when you build an online course with us after we get through the emergency, let's talk about ways to be more thoughtful about how we develop the asynchronous versus the synchronous elements.
1: Yeah, you know, I think in many ways it, it was the difference between like a. A, a field medic and actually going through a planned surgery uh, yeah. I think there's a, there's a really good analogy there of what happened last year was a lot of triage and and people were successful, they lived <laughs> so you know, the courses lived and, and that was great and like we're, we're grateful that that were, so many faculty were able to do that because that was a tremendous task on top of a global pandemic and on top of racial strife, so many things were going on last spring. Uh, you know, it, we're all still recovering from so many pieces of it. So I think that worked for me as a metaphor to really think of like what we could do in the moment, but recognizing there were lots of shortcuts. There were probably things that weren't as clean or as as well executed, but that's okay. Like we did what we could. I think for a lot of faculty, as challenging as it was, you know, I've heard from many who are like, it's changed different things about what they do and, and in many positive ways. So there's certainly people who are itching to go back to the classroom, but I will be curious to see when whatever normal, <laughs> if we ever get back to that, that normal of, of yesteryear, how much of it will feel is, is good or how many things will still be brought along? I, you know I think a lot about how much faculty will lean more on the LMS than ever before. Many institutions were like, no faculty needs to use it. And you would have, you know, I remember being at institutions where it was like a quarter of the faculty actually use their shells, uh, their, their LMS shells. And now it's like, I think we might actually have more than that. Uh, or, I mean, I think going forward, we'll have most people using their shells and it'll be an exception rather than, you know, than a, than a, a commonality. Um, and I did remember what the second piece was. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. So, the second piece to what you said earlier was, you know, that idea of graduate assignments, you know, being actually in some ways applicable or when framed rightly, you know, useful for undergrads and, and students that are coming in. You know, I'll speak to that in, in the literature course that I was teaching. Again, as a mixture of having an options around and, and the ability for students to pitch their own assignment. One great example was the student who uh, also in this literature course most of the readings the students can choose their own. There's usually one central reading and students choose the rest of the readings uh, based on how I, I group them. This one student throughout the semester picked every reading, every reading he could that was on maritime culture. He was a fisherman up in Gloucester. And so like, he loved to get into that piece of any of the stories. Like if there was even a hint, if a fish was just mentioned, he would find it and he would be reading it. And so what it ended up being for his final project was this fascinating timeline of what maritime cult, maritime history looked like throughout the, uh, it was American history one. So throughout the, the really the 1500s to the 1800s, And contrasted that with the literature and like the the veracity of of the pieces of literature with what was going on. Like this fascinating look of at literature in in the real world that like it definitely was a graduate level concept, or that would be something you would see in a graduate level course. But the student, because they had the free will to or they had the the freedom to read what they thought was valuable to them and also do an assignment that they were engaged in, like produced this awesome work that I'm still talking about. Mm
0: Yeah. And, you know, that element of choice for adult learners, right. We started getting mm-hmm. adult learner theory, right. You know, even Vygotsky way back, right. We saying, right. you know, give them a chance when at all possible to choose their assignment, right. You know, Or, or within the assignment or, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a reading or uh, if you're using a case study mm-hmm. in a business environment, you know, there's so many case studies and um, I mean, narrative any of any kind, you know, mm-hmm. can, there, there can be elements of choice there. Um, obviously the things that are, Certain disciplines are changing even now. I mean, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so nursing, for example, just had a conversation with the nursing faculty member this morning about the fact um, that, you know, that 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 whole industry is changing and she's involved with um, with looking at that and some research this summer um, that's going to involve um, what are the lessons we learned you know about the, in the pandemic about care can we establish mm. certain protocols that weren't there before just simply didn't didn't weren't part of the part of the protocols because they just it was a, just an unprecedented experience you know what did we learn and how can we can we move it forward um, mm. i mean that informal learning um is great that it happens in the field i mean obviously for practitioners <laughs> but it's also good when we when we come back to like you know the 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 area we are i don't want to call it the ivy tower but like like the the experimental area that we're in right i mean we're we're kind of like this is the the idea factory edison called it right you know we can we can take some of these things and we can see what's going on in the field and bring it back to the classroom and tell students to help prepare them for what's coming you know
1: yeah and, and for me that's a lot of the motivation for kind of coming up with these structures around assignments and creating opportunities for choice you know there's the there's the learning theory behind it there's also for me an element of of inclusivity of one thing i don't think we always do well we we move with this this assumption that students can make the the translate I would say more of a transl- translatory, translation, translational leap from the rich context to which they are living in daily. And, you know, when we, I'm thinking about my students at North Shore Community College and the like, and like, you know, they have very complex lives that they weave their way through, you know, in very insightful ways that work for them. We don't always see it because we just see them in the classroom. So I think about that. Like in order for them to be there in that classroom, they are navigating lots of different demands, challenges, professionally, personally, familially, all of those things. So the intelligence is there. How as instructors do we help to help them to make the leap of that? those insights into what they are doing in the classroom and the projection into where they are going professionally. Uh, and so one of the, the, the first activities I do almost, in almost any class to help students understand like, particularly my literature courses, that they have really deep analytical skills, but it's, it's, a, it's a translation issue. It's, and I just mean that in like the conceptual sense, it's a translation issue from their context into these other contexts is, I will put up on the board or in the virtual space, what have you, I will put, uh, you know, I'll explain to them, you guys are great analyzers of language. Like you are, you can look at a text and you can spend a lot of time analyzing it. And I can prove it in two words. And I'll say to them, all right, you just got a text from your friend. And this is all it says. I'm fine, period. And we will have 15 to 20 minute conversations about those two words and what they mean and at the end of it like what i explained to them is you guys are all doing textual analysis like every time you're having a conversation around what text you got what tweet you got what what facebook message you got like you're doing this and so part of our job and this is why i like doing these types of creative assignments is it helps them to kind of flex those muscles and make those jumps that are sometimes hard for us as instructors to do because we're not in their context, but we can help guide them or or, uh, facilitate them along that way.
0: Yeah. And, and again, you're, you're not taking away from the discipline. You're looking at it, you know, you're looking at it within the discipline, right? Like, and you're saying, well, what is literature, right? I mean, it's an art form, but what is literature? It's a way it's, it's an understanding of, you know, encoding and decoding these, these various social constructs or social contexts, and how do you infer that from a read? And that's that's an important area. And, you know, it's we've had these conversations. In a way, it's unfortunate, but in a way, it's fortunate. In the last few years, you know, what's the value? Is what are the value of the humanities? Right? Um, you know, with. You know, oh no, we just need professional programs. And I think, I think we do need professional programs, especially when you consider that, you know, tuition is not free. So students need to be able to graduate, have jobs. I mean, that's, that's a lot of the motivation, but how do we find ways that, that help them, uh, you know, to address the whole learner, but they can also, you know, eventually move past anything that we have the ability to teach them right now, because they're, they're, they're preparing for hopefully a lifetime of learning. You know, and 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 interpreting contexts that they're in, whether and and more and more of it's done on the screen. You know, they're going to have to be able to do that. What 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 information do we infer? How do we expand our worldview? How do we think critically about these things and try to interpret them in and thoughtful in a thoughtful manner?
1: Yeah, it, absolutely. And that you know, I think that's why for me, it, there's a lot within. You know, there's that idea of like if we do education right, no matter the level, the thing we're we're teaching in every class is how to be a better learner, uh, a learner for themselves, because it's so it's so again individually rich, uh, and I say that as you know, I know for myself, like I'm a. Any chance I have a chance to do this, I'm gonna do this. So I'm doing it now, which is, you know, promote audiobooks. I'm a you know this, I'm a I'm yes. a huge audiobook person, and that's not for everybody, but I learned early I lucked out and learned early on in my in uh in middle in high school that audiobooks are a gateway to just to learning a lot more than I would have otherwise. But it's not for everybody. But I say that as a like I've learned that about me, and I have leveraged that. I mean, I, I listen to you know anywhere between one hundred and fifty to one hundred and seventy five audiobooks a year, um, mm-hmm. because I know that works, and I know that that can help me. And so, but that's not going to be everybody. So I think for us, you know, if we can find ways in all of our classes to help students be better learners for their context, for their for who they are that's the, you know, that's one of the biggest goals. It's one of the biggest successes we can have. And, you know, that's why in all of my courses, you know, I have these options. It's also in my courses, I almost any course, there's always some piece on metacognition and helping them understand, like, when you're in these courses, it's not just the, it's not just the content, but it's how you orient yourself, how you prepare or how you engage and how you re-engage through reflection, through self-testing and things like that, that, determine whether it's going to be of value or for you to figure out what works best for you. Um, I think that absolutely that like helping, regardless of where they're going professionally, how do we help them become better learners for themselves is, is really important.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're helping them. I mean, we we're, we're helping them along the next step in their path. I mean, that's, hmm. that's what we want. You know, it's interesting because one of the other conversations we've had in higher ed related to this is how do we uh, stay a part of the student's learning experience throughout their life, right? Mm. It's not what it used to be where, okay, they go through K through 12 and then they go to four years of college or you know, six or eight years or whatever it is with far they go with their program. Um, and then it's all done, right? Um, one of the things that we do teach in graduate school, especially in the, the PhD programs, you know, is, or the MFA programs even is like, how do we, how do we build that as a culture? Of, mm. of your own personal culture what works for you and how do you continue to learn and can you reconnect with the university you know or the college you're at even the community colleges they've really been great about this um so we have to do have to think about like the lifetime learner and how we can support that and how we can be a part of that and, and of course an immersion level it's, it's good for the institution too because you have alumni that are engaged and part right. of it so it's actually i mean it's it's very pragmatic but it, it's it's so I guess it's, it's good that it rebounds in our favor too, but the idea is how do we help students, right, to Mm. be, to be learners and encourage that, set them on the right path um, to be successful, whatever that means to them.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, circling or pulling in that informal learning options, you know, now is, is there's just, there's so many opportunities to learn um, in many different areas, so I think, you know, yes. Ideally, they are going back to formal institutions for the various accreditations and whatnot. But if we can structure them, you know, if we can structure our engagement with them in a way that they can go on to, I mean, I I can't even think of how many times oh, my cat there's my cat showing yeah. up <laughs> like clockwork. Um,
0: for yeah, those I, of you at home listening on the podcast, you can't see the video. That's yeah. what happens when the cat joins. That's all right. My dog is over
1: here trying yeah.
0: to uh, trying to be a part of it. They they just they they want to be a part of the conversation.
1: I that's, mean, it's it, it's one of the better parts of of, of everything that's happening. COVID is all the pets that are now Zoom celebrities. Um, uh, yes. So, uh, the so with. I think one of the things that has been really valuable is now that we have so much online material and content, like the opportunity to go out and in self-direct your own learning and be able to pick up a lot of different things. And I know for me, that has been its own pivotal, like it's been pivotal in my car- career trajectory to even where I am now, like my, my current position, I wouldn't have been here if I hadn't been, there was like, I ended up reading lots and lots of audio or reading, listening to lots and lots of audiobooks that like really charged my interest in what the center is doing that I'm at. And so because I I was able to self-direct my learning down pathways that were really exciting, it set me up for what was next for me. And I just think there's so much great material out there. If we again, you know, work along these lines of encouraging students to follow things that excite them and interest them or uh, that they can continue to learn about and become specialized in. And I'll circle this with the open pedagogy, which, you know, part of the reason I like that is you're already charging and encouraging the student to be a creator of knowledge, to to create things that aren't just going to end in the course, but have a life beyond that. So often for with my students, it's been building Wikipedia articles, it's been doing blogs, it's been creating videos or creating learning modules for my courses uh, for future students that get them in that mind space of creating. And so there's this other great piece of learning where they learn by doing and they learn by putting it out there. You know, they put an article on Wikipedia, they're going to learn about collaborative writing, they're going to learn about criticism, they're going to learn about uh, the about creative commons and copyright. So like they already start to think about these things as they go and do more things beyond that.
0: Yeah, we know we've done a lot with OER um, and Open Educational Resources in general with at, at Bay State in the last year. It's been something that we've put a real focus on. But now you're talking about taking that next step. Right. So we're not just saying, OK, well, here's an OpenStax textbook and it does save money for the students and it's got good content. So we've done that. But you're talking about that next level. Right. How mm-hmm. do we have students become co-creators? Yes. Um, and 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 one of the ways we've done that, we started to do it with some classes, or so you know the class is going to be taught next semester. Um, you can say that, look, we're, we'd like to create an OER document when this is all done um, that we do as a group, or you put, mm-hmm. you can, you, as your case, you're talking about putting it on Wikipedia, which is already public. And mm-hmm. like, how do we share that space? How do we use that to, um, to engage the community at large and to help future students? You know, like, what would you say to them? um and you're basically you're saying this these are the important things in this discipline these are the important things on this subject things you should be aware of at this moment in time that Mm -hmm. might change but now that's open for the next group of students to do the same thing
1: yeah and that's in my i teach a course on popular culture in the us and what i have them do is each one you know each week they have some choices of assignments and it's you know participate in a discussion or Annotate the learning guides. Now, these learning guides I created about a decade ago. I try to update them every semester, you know, according to certain changes or what what's more, you know, more popular or what starts to feel dated. Certain references that I'm like, oh, I don't know if people get that unless they Google it. But what I also, as part of this annotation assignment, these learning guides are all Google Docs, and so they will go in and they will add to them. They will add annotations, things to to expand upon, and you know it's sometimes again a little back and forth of like they 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 pitch something i give some recommendations on tweaking it they revise it then that goes into that learning guide and that student is that student is cited so learning guides will have these pieces where it's like from this student or if they want to remain anonymous you know we'll say if, you know a student from a previous course had this thought or thought this was an important piece to consider so mm-hmm. those are growing um, in, in morphing as a result of student efforts. And then the other piece that I do in that course is the last four weeks, we do case studies. And initially I built out the first four case studies and they were very much a reflection of me and my interest. So like one is on fandom, one is on horror comics in the 1950s, another is on uh, zombie, f- post 9 zombie films. And the, f- the fourth one is on... Um, uh, on how we greenify or, or greenwashing and, and, or consumerism and greenwashing in popular culture. But since then, one of their final assignments or choices for final assignments is for them to create a learning module that would be one of these case studies. So now I have like seven or eight. And again, students get to vote which ones they do. And some of, you know, so, some of the times they'll be choosing ones that previous students have created. And again, the student is given credit and all of that. But here's this rich cycle of like, students from years ago are impacting the learning of students, you know, today. And th- there's a lot of empowerment that goes on there and an encouragement of like, you, you can do these things. And you you, you know, as you start to dive into this, you can also teach it. And I think that for me is the the biggest learning I've ever had is whenever I'm going to teach something because it really does show me what I do and I don't know. And I think that's a valuable experience to, to work with students around is, is getting them to teach something to start to understand what it means to, to kind of have a grasp of the learning and the, the, the ideas that are associated with that course.
0: Yeah, the best way to learn anything or to relearn mm-hmm. it maybe is to teach it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, Lance, thanks for coming on with us today. I hope you'll, uh, hope you'll join us again. Oh, absolutely. Come back and share. um, And we really appreciate that.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. And uh, I I look forward to hearing what kind of new ideas come out from, uh, from from this podcast series.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Learning by Design. Tune in next time for more. If you have questions about online design, teaching, or educational technology, feel free to reach out to us at the Virtual Center for Teaching and Learning in
1: Canvas.